from Public Radio. Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. <sighs> Smells like fish. Tastes like chocolate. Reality Check Live. And now, a tobacco industry health fact for today. Yeah, um, drinking gasoline is not only tasty, but good for you, too. Yeah, yeah. But you might want to wait a few minutes before you light up, you know? If you believe that one, then you should stick around for another health fact for today from the tobacco industry. Next, preventing truth decay. Truth decay. Reality check. Live. A stunning revelation. Over 2 million Americans have been living with no running water or drinking water for years. Right here in the United States. And guns, guns, and more guns. Our president addresses the NRA while students address each other. All that and more straight ahead. Reality check. Live. We have taken over your radio. We are now in control. We can crank up your radio's volume, or we can turn it down so low that you can barely hear it. Then we can turn it back up and mess around with the bass level. Or we can crank up the trouble. We can blow out your left speaker. Oh, my God. We can even make your radio sound like a broken CDDDDD. We are in total charge. We are in complete control. We are Reality Check Live. Carrie Harrison here with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. Of course, all social media at realitycheklv. That stands for live. At realitycheklv. We're going to talk about water, something that all the mammals on the planet, including amphibious friends, need. We as human beings are some 90% water in our own bodies. And if you live in Los Angeles, which is where we're coming to you from or the whole area, we depend on things like the Colorado River and the goodness of the people of Utah and other states because they could just literally turn it off. And there are 14 million people where every drop matters. What does that actually mean? Well, that's why we have with us George McGraw. He's the founder and executive director of DigDeep.org. DigDeep.org, and they're the only nonprofit serving nearly 2 million Americans without a tap or a toilet at home. This is astounding that such a thing exists, George. You're not among that number, I assume. Well, in the building I live in, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> that's a yeah. different show. 1931, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe's very first apartment. Oh, and I know we, where that is on Franklin. Yeah, we. Uh, it's on. Uh, well, I'm not going to give the address, but well, you should definitely give the address. Let's, yeah, mm-hmm. you're in the in, okay, the, in the hood okay, there. Okay. Um, uh, we have uh, plumbing issues, much like Flint, Michigan, in many ways. Yep. Our, our plumbing is over 90 years old. Yep. And the pipes have decided no longer to participate in the event of continuous running water. They like to leak into the walls or just fall apart. You know, there are parts of the United States where um, the pipes serving water underground are still made of wood. Really? Yeah. Our, our infrastructure in the U.S. is so critically disinvested, like to the tune of more than a trillion dollars, yeah. that, you know, we're seeing issues like Flint pop up all the time. I mean, look at Puerto Rico. A good portion of the population there still doesn't have any access to running water after the storms. And uh, it's those are the canary in the coal mine. It's going to get worse. Right, right. And, and that's hardly a boo-boo, too. Yeah. That no. could be remediated. But one would have to want, want to help That's why we're here checking the reality. That's exactly right. Preventing truth decay. George McGraw, just for full uh, transparency and disclosure. Went to uh, Gorton on uh, uh, where Deer Path meets 
doesn't matter anymore. Oh God, someone absconded with me from as an early age from that time. Oh, so you never had to suffer growing up there. <laughs> <laughs> Minimally. <laughs> Back to water. So let's talk about – it's shocking. This is the first time most of us will have heard. And when I met you the first time, I had never heard this. Yeah. I mean I knew before uh, – uh, FDR and, and before electrification during a light bulb in a mm -hmm. socket. It's a miracle. It was a game changer. But the notion of two million people, two million, uh, the average city size in America is what, 30,000 people, 20,000. We're seeing two million people, no toilet. No tap water. What do they do? Well, they're spread all across the country, and everyone copes a little differently. Yeah. If they're close enough, a lot of the people we work with will get in their car and drive, I don't know, 25, 50 miles round trip and buy bottled water. But that gets really, really expensive. Yeah. And so in some of the worst hit places, like in rural New Mexico or Arizona where we're working, I see families wake up and grab a bucket and walk a couple miles to a livestock pond or a trough yeah. and haul water home, maybe boil it. In a lot of places, that water's dirty, bacteria, uranium, crazy stuff. Um, and they'll just have a, a gallon or two, and that's all they use all day for cooking, cleaning, drinking, bathing. And you're right that most Americans have never heard of this. Most Americans take their water completely for granted. You know, the average American uses 100 gallons of water per person per day, more than anyone else in the world. Yeah. And, uh, and here we have this problem right in the middle of our own country. But, and I'm guessing they have to make a gallon last maybe days. Yeah, they got to make it stretch. Yeah. Um, I was just out on the Navajo Nation where we do a lot of work, which is the country's largest reservation in New Mexico, Arizona, Utah. And uh, visiting one of our clients there, and she had gotten a gallon of water, and she used it to wash some vegetables – and then she put that water in a pot and used it to boil some pasta, strained out the pasta, took it to the living room, washed her grandson's and granddaughter's hair with it, and then poured it in the back of her toilet tank and flushed the toilet with it. Well, <laughs> I think our president would say that's a good American and do nothing about it. This is appalling and shocking at the same time because we know it can be remediated. We know that we're awash in cash, so much so that we've given a trillion dollars in tax cuts to people who simply don't need them. That trillion dollars could supply, I would imagine, ample water if applied. So, you know, the next question, I'm looking at a tweet here. Why isn't this on CNN? Why isn't this in the New York Times? Not that you have the answer, but I imagine there probably might be a, shall we say, a speculative answer to that. Well, Carrie, I did write an excellent op-ed in the New York Times. I thought you did. Just not too We're long ago. Um, but no, this is this is not something that's on the tip of everyone's tongues in yeah. the United States. I think issues like Standing Rock, where yeah. where I and my staff have spent a lot of time, yeah. um, Flint, Puerto Rico. These are these, this is the first time that the that the American psyche has ever been pinged with this water issue, right. and it's the first time people are waking up and being like, oh. What's going to happen to me if I wake up tomorrow and can't turn my tap on? Um, but you're right. It's, it's not on the tip of everyone's tongues yet, I think, for several reasons. One, the populations it affects, they're these out-of-the-way people and out-of-the-way places that we don't like to spend much time paying attention to, right? I mean, something like Flint is perfect proof. This is a socioeconomically marginalized community of color in a community that hasn't been invested in in a long time. Yeah. And that's how these city managers got away with it. Um, at least for a time. With poisonous water. Yeah, because but, it's a it's a population that no one cared to pay attention to, no one advocated for. I'm just going to reintroduce you here quickly because sure. uh, radio people come and go. They get in and out of their cars, shockingly. George McGraw, 
founder and executive director of digdeep.org. Digdeep.org, and they're the only nonprofit serving nearly 2 million Americans without a tap or a toilet at home. George has been published in the New York Times, the LA Times, The Nation, several law reviews, and has been profiled by our sister stations on NPR, also on Vice and CBS. So you are ubiquitous, yet I get some, around. you get around. That's what I've heard, and that's why you're here today for after the show. Just yeah, kidding. That's, that's a behind-the-scenes That's a behind-the-scenes, which we are doing away as well on Facebook Live. Um, let's talk for a bit, uh, uh, for just a second, about the difference between a water charity mm-hmm. and a nonprofit water organization like yours, because people will get confused and not know where to put the love. Yeah, sure. Well, we look at the, the difference in what we do is that we look at yeah. water and sanitation as a basic human right. Yeah. So what we do for people is not charity, right? Right. It's not just a nice thing. We believe that if you are an American that doesn't have access to this basic thing that you need to live your life with dignity and peace and health, then that's an injustice. Mm-hmm. Someone somewhere is responsible for that. Um, and so we are pulling all the levers we can um, to bring resources to communities and empower them to do something about this themselves. The narrative for so long has been, oh, you don't have this basic thing? Well, wait. You know, wait. It'll catch up with you. We have a market model for this. Um, and that's worked. It's called Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's worked for so many of us to the point that now most Americans take water completely for granted. But there, are, there is still this persistent, you know, at least 1.6 million people in the U.S. who don't have it. And, and those are the ones we want to really shine this spotlight on and do something so about this. So digdeep.org, your nonprofit. Yeah. Did I mention it was a nonprofit? I think so. Your nonprofit, Dig Deep, this is kind of important. You're, so we know that, that, I mean, you are actually doing serious heavy lifting out there, bringing water to people. And and we're going to end the conversation, George McGraw. By the way, Carrie Harrison here with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. You can get a podcast of this and any other broadcast at realitychecklive.org. We're ubiquitous on everything from iHeartRadio to uh, Amazon's Alexa, you name it, the whole soup, cat, and pizzas. You're going to be able to hear this again and again if you want to really kind of understand the issue. Let's end, George, with Los Angeles, which happens to be where our studios are here. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a larger LA basin population of 14 million people. Yeah. Every drop of water does not come from here. It comes from very many states away, down the Colorado River, down this and that canal. If somebody just decided to blow up a dam or turn it off or it just runs dry, I mean, how susceptible is, let's say, Palm Springs at 117 degrees Fahrenheit where you can't even grow a uh, a weed, nothing, just brush. <laughs> I mean, talk about desperate and dependent. Yeah, I mean, one in seven Americans relies on the Colorado River for their drinking water. Yeah. And that's not to mention the agriculture and the industry that depend on the river. Um, you're right. I mean, we have a really delicate, beautifully invested in series of water infrastructure that allows us to live in places like Palm Springs. But it is it is delicate. I don't know if you were paying attention in March when it almost came down to day zero in, in um, South Africa and Cape Town. That... You know, that's that's the canary in the coal mine. That's the first major city in the world to almost run out of water. And now they have enough water to last maybe another year, maybe a year and a half. Um, but if Angelinos and Americans in general don't wake up to how precious this resource is, yeah. um, we're not going to be able to solve this problem for the 2 million Americans who don't have it. And in fact, that number is probably going to grow as, you know, climate change and drought and things make it harder for us to get. So, so each of us that 
you know, if it's yellow, let it mellow or whatever these things are. <laughs> I'm learning so much about you today. Well, I just, I'm just reciting, um, you know, childhood rhymes uh-huh. that Nanny taught me. Right. Um, these sorts of things, this is a, a, a smart move. Like the more you and I individually save, the more aggregate water is actually left remaining. Though Nestle, we've all grew up with Nestle candy bars, Nestle, a tiny company, a huge company. Talk about ubiquitous. In a a tiny country, Switzerland, the size of Rhode Island, owns one third of Earth's water, which means you and I are going to start to pay, baby, much more than we do now. You know, it's interesting. We're at this this point now where corporate interests do own a lot of these water resources. And so far... Um, they have had a, a market incentive, a profit incentive to yeah. keep those water resources healthy. So, in fact, you find in a lot of places, ironically in my work, the companies like Nestle are investing more money in making sure those aquifers are healthy and stay productive than local governments are because they're the ones that you know are, are, are pumping them for cash. Yeah. Um, it's, water, is a, water is a strange, strange place. But I do wish people would, in the United States especially, yeah. wake up and realize that um, – how good we have it and how, how bad we might have it in the future if we, don't, if we don't do something. Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live. We've been talking to George McGraw. He is the founder and executive director of digdeep.org. One word, digdeep.org. You can learn more about the very water that you require, whether you like it or not, the water that is, and understand your relationship with it and how to have as much of it as you can responsibly and not let it go dry. It's as simple as that. Digdeep.org. This is Reality Check Live. News. Reality Check. Recap. For Reality Check Live, I'm Mercy Malik, and this is your Science Minute. Australia has earmarked $379 million for a plan to halt the demise of the Great Barrier Reef. Located off the east coast of Australia, the entirety of the world's largest coral reef is in danger of dying due to increased global temperatures. A recent study published in the journal Nature revealed that nearly half of the northern reef's coral died due to heat stress during 2016 and 2017 alone. Time magazine reports that Australia's newly funded efforts include plans to curb pollution from farm fertilizer runoff and reduce the proliferation of ocean species that eat coral. Unfortunately, neither measure addresses the ticking time bomb of global warming. According to ABC News, a spokesperson for the Australian Marine Conservation Society maintains that without the implementation of policies to, quote, rapidly shift Australia to renewable energy, we will not see a future for the reef, end quote. And now for your sports minute. In the world of surfing, winning a big wave award is the equivalent of going home with an Oscar. Each year, the World Surf League awards titles to the best big wave surfers worldwide in a sport that, while exhilarating, can also be deadly. Brazilian Rodrigo Cocha is a 2018 honoree for having surfed the largest wave ever measured. The dangerous and thrilling world record was set off the coast of Portugal in November 2017 when Kosha managed to ride an 80-foot-high wave, breaking the standing record by two feet. The previous record, set in 2011, was held by American Garrett McNamara. Kosha tried to catch a world record wave in 2014, but nearly died during that previous attempt. Kosha told online surf news site The Inertia that the experience left him scared and traumatized for months, but he credits his wife with helping him overcome his fears and getting him back on the surfboard. For Reality Check Live, I'm Mercy Malik. Recap Reality Check Live. 
on newsstands now. It's U.S. News and World Report's 100 Most Beautiful Politicians Issue. Oh, Dick Cheney is so hot. He can shoot me in the face anytime. Pick up a copy and we'll leak the other 99 names. U.S. News and World Report's 100 Most Beautiful Politicians Issue. On sale now. RealityCheckLive.org. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. You can follow us on social media at realitychecklv. LV stands for live. At realitychecklv, where you can get a podcast of this and anything else, anytime, anywhere, for any reason. I want to, as always, say hi to Mercy Malik, our news director. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the recent speech that our president gave in front of the NRA. He stood uh, uh, during these Russian investigations. We're told repeatedly that he could never, never, never go before a grand jury because he couldn't lose two minutes of being the president. His schedule is too, too set, tight. people. It's it's overloaded. But he jumped on a plane and went to Dallas and gave a 44-minute speech, spent the night, had a great time or terrific. <laughs> It was terrific. It was a bigly time. Mm-hmm. And and the people's business somehow magically got done nonetheless. <sighs> um, and while there was pointing out we need more guns, bigger, better guns, and that while he's president, um, guns would not be under siege, but guns, by the way, are under siege at the same time. Yes, that was a fabulous quote. So he said, he said, I want you to know, NRA folks, people who are concerned with the Second Amendment, that your rights are under siege. The Second Amendment is under siege. And I want you to know that as long as I'm president, it is not under siege. So are you not president? Because this would be really welcome news to a lot of us. Right. Or the delicious irony is that it happened on your watch, buddy. Right. Um, and then the idea of increasing the amount of weapons. Now, I mean, it, it was overt. Like, let's give them to teachers. We'll give them to the mm-hmm. cops, the security guards, the grocers, the bankers, the lawyers, and just arm everyone to the teeth. Now, we know in the Wild West, uh, if anyone has seen Westworld, sure, it's a little dramatic, but not exactly unreal if all you have is a sheriff who also has a gun. So whose guns are bigger and badder, I wonder? Well, the interesting thing to remember also is that a mere few months before this NRA Mm. speech, Trump was advocating confiscating people's illegal guns, whatever his uh, definition of that might be, without due process. So that's a really interesting kind of blow with the wind situation. And I'm quite certain that his uh, NRA friends really, really jumped on him for that, as anyone who's interested in due process ought to, no matter what particular item you're talking about. Um, it just seems like things just shoot out of his mouth and they bear no resemblance to any pre, pre-thought pre plan, any sort of cognizant message. Well, to him it is. <laughs> I mean, he's the master of starting a sentence like this and saying, oh, by the way, and then you go off. And Hamburgers. The, and then there's a by the way in the right. by the way, and mm-hmm. it's great. And you're right down the rabbit hole, but all of it makes sense to the people who want one or two things. So all the rest of it suddenly doesn't matter. And, you know, it's just, you know, the Second Amendment, and and it's a good thing to talk about the Second Amendment as opposed to just say, uh, as he says, uh, you know, the Second Amendment is great. But what is it? When we look at the history of this country, and, and my family came over Mayflower, and then we also fought both sides of the Revolutionary War, by the way. 
this is not something that's taught in the history books. Hedge your bets. Most of us hedged sure. our bets, um, and you fought for both sides just in case. But you wanted your side to win, really. Uh, the smart move is you let the king build all the infrastructure, build all the cities, pull down the, co- the cobblestones, put up the buildings, the riverways. Once it's all built, you tell him just to f- you know? Can we say that? Oh, uh, it'll be bleeped. Oh, yes. Damn. <laughs> Will that be bleeped? Can, is damn okay? And, and that's American business still today. Mm-hmm. Is you let somebody else build it, and once it's built, you sue them, and they have to go away. This is how Donald Trump has built his empire. But he's suing the little guy. Yeah. That's not the king. The people that Donald Trump sues or just refuses to pay the invoices of are the little mom and pop companies of which there are scores who are forced out of business through his predatory yeah. practices. Yeah. So great businessman, man to emulate. Yeah. And, and we're not we're not at all. We're big fans of Donald Trump and we think he's bigly and, <laughs> and amazing and the most handsome man who's he's, ever lived. He's big. He's the smartest and the greatest. He's large. So you know, we're we're just kind of talking about the optics of all of this. That's it. We're just evaluating the optics of it. And so in the Second Amendment, it talks about a well-regulated militia. Mm-hmm. It does not talk about Timmy going home with his machine gun. A well-regulated militia, let's take a refrigerator. A refrigerator has a regulator on it. A regulator makes it cooler or warmer depending on how you turn the valve. And so well-regulated militia, it means it's well-supplied, but also means when you're done with the guns, you put them in the armory. You don't take them home as your souvenir and then use them on demand. So that's what it meant. And it was about militias because we didn't have a national army. We didn't have a national tax base. We didn't have a national government. We were being occupied by the British. So it was purely so that each neighborhood, if you will, or region could get their people together could get their arms together and use them for military purposes only to defend themselves against the British until such a government was formed and the rest of it. So these militias have always been codified into law as being necessary and required, but well regulated, not individual, you know, I am not my own militia where I could just take it home and do what I want. And that's the key thing that's important here until the Supreme Court decided to go in favor of you are your own militia, just like corporations are people too, my friend. Yes, yes. Now, this is where – and Carrie and I do not always agree down to every single tiny hair. Um, This is where we might have a slight point of departure. I grew up in the the desert southwest and I grew up with guns and I grew up in a situation where gun education was very important and people having guns at home in in many areas that were far outside of the reach of law enforcement if you needed them would take a very, very long time to get to you or you're in an inner city situation where they're just probably not going to come or not for a very long time. That was a common part of life for us. So if you're someone who, like me, grew up with that as a reality where it really was a necessity to have a firearm, a firearm for protection, not a basement full of machine guns, not a cannon, not a flamethrower, which wouldn't even be covered. I think you're allowed flamethrowers now. But my point being, when we talk about gun regulations, we're talking about sensible regulations, not busting into people's houses and confiscating anything that looks like a revolver. It's that's where I think people start circling the wagons, as it were, and saying, no, 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 don't take my guns. Don't take my guns. 
that's not what most people are talking about. Most people are not talking about just going in and taking guns. We're talking about things that make sense for everyone. No one needs <laughs> no one needs a military grade assault rifle no. for hunting or defending your personal property. And it's it's reasonable to hunt. I mean, really that's not right. part of it. It's everyone, not my thing, but it's completely everyone reasonable. Everyone always had hunting rifles. These are muskets. Muskets back in the day when the second amendment was made critical. And you know, the average NRA member does want regulation. They do want mental health checks, but it's the very top of the NRA movement. The, the loudest. They're loud the and loudest. cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and they represent many millions. My father was a big NRA supporter. Mm. Of course, he did want machine guns and did collect them. Um, he had a Schmeisser MP40 <sighs> subautomatic machine gun from World War II, the, had Lugers. For rabbits, right? Shooting rabbits? Um, Is that it? Yes. Any rabbit that'll move, anything that dresses like a rabbit, <sighs> anything that could be rabbitoid or rabid. Um, that said, he was not one of the more sensible thinkers. He would have made a great leader of today's NRA. Mm. But the average person is reasonable. They yeah. hunt. Uh, they do whatever they do. They might need it, as you said, for personal protection if you live in an area where that makes sense. But we're not talking about arming people to the teeth. And frankly, the the ridiculosity that the government is going to come after you and you're going to be able to go, <laughs> you know, shoot drones. Are you kidding? It the, does have, not matter you know, it, what you own. Yeah. If the government wants to come get you, yeah. that's going to happen. We're, we're in Los Angeles. So if you don't live here, which you probably don't necessarily, we have squad cars that are so militarized mm -hmm. every 90 seconds. It's basically a tank goes down the road. One wrong move, and you are blown into molecules. You, I don't care what you collect. You're a dead duck if they come after you. So, And we don't say this to frighten people. We just want – We to, do it to amuse we, you. We, <laughs> it's, next up, clowns juggling. Um, we, we just want to kind of get it back into the realm of logic. Like so much of the gun debate, as it were, yeah. is just emotion, emotion, emotion. And people over here saying, oh, there should be no guns. And people over here saying, we should all have guns. But guns should be mandatory. Obviously, the vast majority of us live in the middle where we can think critically and agree together. OK, these are rights. These should not be rights. Right. Regulations and, are part of society, and, like and anything else. We've run out of time here, Mercy, but... Because I'm no, a talker. It's okay, honey. You're allowed. You're going to hear hear that? Yep. Okay. Out of time. Did you just do that to shut me up? No, I did that it's because okay. I have I to time these segments. <laughs> but let me just say this. If we're going to have this much passion about the Second Amendment, let's have the president stand up and do it for the first. Oh, yes. Equal time is what I say. Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. Reality Check Live. Reality Check Live. Reality Check Live. Reality Check Live. You've watched America's Funniest Home Videos. You've seen the clones and imitators. Now there's a ripoff so much like the original, it's different. It's America's Funniest Security Cameras. Yes, we got footage of loading docks, supermarkets, banks, stuff no one thought could possibly be entertaining, like this scene at a local 7-Eleven. I need some Gatorade. Uh, this? No, that's a donut. Okay, okay, maybe this. That's cigarettes. Okay, okay, this? That's pantyhose. It's all here. The goofy foreigners, shoplifters, people picking their noses, even trigger-happy bank robbers. All right, everybody down. I sat down, lady. America's funniest security cameras. It's cost-efficient TV programming at its best. 
Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. Social media at realitychecklv. LV is in live at realitychecklv. Sitting right now with our intern from UCLA. UCLA, one of the most famous universities in the world, certainly top right here in Los Angeles. And they've given us a great intern. And I just want to acknowledge our interns here. This is Gunilla Larsson from Scandinavia, from Sweden, and welcome to Reality Check Live. Thank you very much. Now, you are an A student. I am, as as of today, yes. Yes, I I don't have the final grades yet, but for now, they are all A's. So why do you want to learn radio? Because that's the part that is missing in my education. I have done lots of print. I have freelanced and worked for newspapers and magazines. And uh, I've done some TV production. I'm taking a TV production class right now in school. But there is no radio in the certificates. So this is the missing piece. This is the missing. We have often been thought of as the missing link. And uh, we're happy to tether that together. Now, radio, it's a huge industry. Of course, it competes now with podcasts and streaming mm-hmm. services, of which we are on all, by the way, whether it's Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Amazon's Alexa, uh, and Spotify uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. So really, radio is all over the place. But we're still traditional analog or what's called terrestrial radio, which means we use what's called an antenna. And our signal is able to break through car windshields right in the middle of the afternoon on freeways like in L.A. where you have 14 million people in their cars. That's impressive. We break through every single windshield. And because our show airs prime time, it's exactly the right time to do it. Here's what's even better. No bandwidth issues. So when you're listening to a stream, if 10,000 people log on, it it goes down to a a gurgle and you get digital soup. With radio, a billion people could tune in, no bandwidth reduction. So we also get to work around net neutrality. Now that we know the internet is being throttled back, things are being censored and filtered out, Mm. with radio, we don't have that problem. That is a scandal, by the way. Yes, it is a scandal. And and it affects the whole world. Scandinavia, your people, the Swedes. Yes, it does. But people back home don't know that. Go ahead and elaborate. (laughs) Well, net... Net neutrality is something that is talked about in the the States a lot, but back home in Scandinavia, people don't even think about that. They don't think it could be a problem that net neutrality is reduced in the States. Well, and since we control and are the gatekeeper of much of the world's information, um, pretty soon you will get to buy whatever we sell you. And you'll get the information that we decide you deserve. Exactly. And you don't deserve to have free health care and you don't deserve to have uh, sleek light rail. You should have to uh, pay a la carte for all your health care as we do. You as a European, you come to the United States, you don't have health care. You would pay retail for broken arms somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000, which is a good value when you think about it for a cast and a Band-Aid and an aspirin. It, I mean, the, the health insurance in the States is is confusing to me. Really? Yes, well, really. It sure isn't to me. That's very clear. <laughs> because uh, back home, if like I try to explain to my classmates uh, that are American, uh, they ask me, how does it work in Sweden? Well, if I get sick, I pick up the phone and I call my doctor. I get an appointment. I go there and 
he or she helps me out. And you get repaired. Yeah, I get State repaired. State of the art, too. Yeah, and it costs me, the doctor's appointment alone costs me maybe 10 bucks in Swedish crowns. What if you need a new heart? Do you get a new heart? I'm not sure because my heart is pumping not, not, still. Not, not you personally, uh, but if one, if one needs a new heart, one gets I, a new heart for 10 bucks. No, I don't think so. But the operation itself is paid by the government, I suppose. Okay, so you still pay your 10 bucks. Well, maybe you pay 20. Maybe you pay 20 or 30 because <gasps> I think you have to see the doctor more than once. Okay, so so really we're just paying for $10 doctor but it's, visits. It's not that you have to pay millions and millions for an heart open heart surgery right? or a, a, a transplant. My cousin, he has a new liver. Uh-huh. Because he has been sick for many years, and now he has a, he got a new liver a couple of years ago. And uh, as far as I know, they did not pay much for that. What, how much do you think they paid? I don't want to speculate, actually, because but, – but I mean it's very different from the States when if you have a bad liver and you need a transplant, it's going to ruin your economy forever. Yeah. So what you do is you do it's what Larry like Hagman, a famous actor uh, from the show I Dream of Genie," and then later Dallas, you simply... J.R. J.R. Mm-hmm. And you guys know about him in Sweden. I love Dallas. You simply build a wing on a hospital that's a liver transplant wing and suddenly and magically you're in first place for a new liver. It has nothing to do with having built it. Harrison with you, I just want to thank you, Gunilla Larson. She's our A student from UCLA. Well, I'm thanking you for having me. Well, we are thrilled to have you aboard. And if you're a student and you'd like to join us here on Reality Check Live and be part of the public radio system as well as our NBC stations, we'd love to have you aboard. We'd love to teach you how to do this and give you access to real world experience. All you have to do is go to realitychecklive.org, realitychecklive.org. Reach out to us and we will make it happen. Reality Check Live. Tell them just how you feel with the Just How I Feel collection from Hallmark Cards. To my son, sometimes mommy has a hard time telling you how much she loves you because she doesn't. You've ruined my life and I hate you, hate you, hate you. Sincerely, mom. Hallmark, when you care enough to send the very best and when you don't. RealityCheckLive.org Hi, I'm Clint Eastwood and I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. (laughs) You got that? Okay. Never upsetting or over the top. Always reverent and appropriate. Your grandmother would enjoy this with her church group. Are you ready? Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. It's your reality bite. At the West Hollywood Starbucks, several blocks from the Kardashian cat box of Beverly Hills, a non-white mechanic was attempting to tighten the brakes on a small scooter. Immediately, four squad cars with seven sheriffs screeched up, militarized, similar to Ferguson, Missouri, ready to get even. All right, everyone, get back in line. Get Diddy Leslie. You put your cuffs on him. Freeze! Step away from the vehicle, sir. Drop the accent, too, all right? It's a little thick for my taste. Hey, I'm from here. I don't even know what you're talking about. I see what's going on here. It's ISIS. ISIS have invaded <laughs> the Starbucks calling air support. I don't think that's a very good idea. Deputy Leslie, you keep your eye on that suspect. Freeze! There's a reason they gave us all this remainder Iraqi weaponry. And it's your word to stare at it. Father! <laughs> For God's sake, air 
Siri, find me something to eat. Here's what I found on the web for Krispy Kreme donuts. Hey, don't want no problems. Deputy Leslie. Drop the Allen wrench and step away. Now. Okay, sir. I was just fixing the brakes. Sir. 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 I'm not a sir. Don't hit me with your baton. It's not a baton. It's my... Ooh, Harry. And there's your reality bite. Reality check live. Harrison with you with Reality Check. As you know, we're a new show all over the country. Born of the resist movement. And who better than the father in many ways of giving us permission to actually be who we really are in the world. We just had recently millions of people show up all over the world to talk about gun violence. And the good news, as you, Alan Grayson, run again to be congressman of the United States representing Florida, is that there are youths, whatever the plural is of a youth, something like that, by the tens of millions, all of whom are going to be registered to vote. And we have a sense how they may not be voting and which party they may be registering to vote for. Well, this is very exciting, and it's exciting for one reason specifically, which is that the whole modern thrust of political dialogue um, in the country has been for many years from Fox News, from the right wing, from Rich Limbaugh, saying uh, it doesn't matter how you vote, why do you even bother? And the voter suppression helps to feed into that. Uh, what, we're, what we're hearing is that the youth of America does not accept that uh, they recognize that the future is their future. They recognize that in a democracy, they control the laws, the rules by which we all live, and they're going to participate. Um, and it was an open question. Um, for years, there's been a sense of anomie. Uh, anomie has been the enemy. Uh, there's been a sense that um, what's the difference? They don't pay any attention to me. They're not really representing me, et cetera, et cetera. And the right wing has fed that kind of cynicism. Um, across the board, uh, young people are rejecting that whole line of thought, and they recognize their inherent power in a functioning democracy. And we've been dealing with gerrymandering. Poor Elbridge Gary. I mean, if he were, like, <laughs> dug up, he'd be doing the backflips that he's doing, certainly, wherever he is nowadays. Here we are dealing with uh, the possibility now that huge, vast numbers of voters could actually make a difference. Kind of like a democracy. It's not Aristotle, but it's close. Well, in fact, we had a, a case in point recently in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, Democrats got more votes than Republicans for Congress, and because of the power of gerrymandering, uh, because in effect, it's not the voters choosing their elected representatives, but it's been the elected representatives choosing their voters, uh, the Republicans ended up with 12 seats, the Democrats ended up with five. Um, in another Midwestern state, it's uh, 10 Republicans, four Democrats, even though the Democrats get more votes there as well. And I could give you other examples as well. The Republicans have used their power over state legislators to basically uh, cheat the Democrats out of seats all across the country to the point where Democrats have to win the national vote by eight points in order to be able to take back the House of Representatives. Now, I think we've seen the high watermark in Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court said, no, that's not acceptable. You're not actually functioning as democracy when most people vote Democratic and they end up with 12 Republican congressmen to five Democrats. So we may have seen it roll back. In Florida, we've seen it roll back already. Um, the Republicans had jammed up the Democrats so badly that in Florida, the ultimate 
50-50 purple state where no presidential candidate has gotten more than 53% of the vote since Ronald Reagan. Nevertheless, the Republicans had 19 congressmen. The Democrats had six. And now we've changed that. Now there are 11 Democrats representing Florida. And after the elections this year, there could well be 14. So we'll end up with roughly half of the total number, possibly even more. That's because people rose up against gerrymandering, forbade it under the Florida Constitution. And you're seeing the same kind of movement nationwide. Here in California, you have an independent commission that decides these things to prevent gerrymandering. But whether you do it that way or by court review or whatever, people are fed up. They're tired of being cheated out of their votes. They're not going to take it anymore. The recent calamities uh, in your state of Florida, and by the way, if you're watching this as a stream, this man is representing Florida, and Florida is a very important state. It's also the place where we've seen, uh, we saw the Pulse nightclub, uh, Parkland recently. Outside my district, And I grew up in Florida, in Naples, right across from you, your district. And so here we have this situation now where you guys, as always, are a very important state, and you're running to be in a very important state. Then you end up in Congress. You'll be standing there next to Donald Trump at some point. Oh, boy. Well, you know, Florida is uh, sort of a laboratory uh, for America because Florida is so divided the way that uh, America has become divided. Uh, The question, I guess, for all of us is what could possibly overcome that? What could bring us together? I think the answer to that is the common impulse that we all feel to help people in need. Uh, There was a a book written not long ago uh, by a Democratic theorist. He said, the way to communicate with people on the other side, the people who have a different set of values, to say, have you ever helped anybody? And how did you feel when you did help somebody? The answer is always yes. I might be a rock-ribbed Republican, but I have helped people in my life. And uh, I felt good about it. And that gives us some sort of common ground. That's something to work with in Florida. Otherwise, uh, politics just becomes tribal. Um, It's the war of all against all. Uh, So if you want to try to overcome that in Florida or anywhere else, uh, you have to agree on a set of values uh, based upon uh, helping people in need. I would imagine, and I can neither confirm nor deny whether I'd like to see you in Congress again, because I have to walk a very careful line, but I would imagine the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of kids that are dealing with the issues in Florida and the gunplay, you are the solution. You are the soothing emollient to their particularly chafed spirits right now. And if they know about you, and they actually do, as they talked about, when people come out of the Publix grocery store, we're going to sign them up to vote. When they get in and out of their car, when they shave, we're going to sign them up to vote. This could actually totally change the calculus of who's in charge and how things look. Well, that's true. You're referring to something that we discussed before we were on camera, which is the enormous effort that we've made in my district to actually help people to vote. Um, And we've made enormous progress in that regard. The turnout has grown astronomically in my district. And we do it uh, two different ways. We do it mechanically. We want to make sure that everybody's registered to vote, that people who want to vote at home by mail have a chance to do that. But in addition to that, we give people a reason to vote. I want people to understand that, um, that the choice in politics is meaningful, that you actually get to choose your future 
uh, through your political choices, through your vote, through participating in the political process, you are determining your own future, whether it's going to be good or bad. And, and again, this is a way that, that helps to bridge the gap that exists in Florida and uh, everywhere else. I want people to understand that a vote for Alan Grayson is a vote for a particular future that's better for ordinary people. Uh, let's, let's describe that future in a nutshell, and we'll pull this out and make it a clip. And that will be the thing that repeats forever in people's head. Well, I'll give you an example of this. Um, I put on our local ballot paid sick leave. Uh, Paid sick leave is something that's unusual in Florida. Um, Hardly anybody has it. I put on the ballot in Orange County, and we won 58% of the vote. Uh, that, that gives you one example of a concrete difference in people's lives. Uh, it's shocking to me. I have five children who are in public school. Um, when my children are sick, I get a call from the school saying, you have to take your kids home. And I take them home. Um, but when somebody works for a living and they're sick, they're forced to work. It's not that anybody can call and take them home. They're literally forced to work. So we have a, a very counterproductive inhumane policy in that regard. Just to give you one example, to give you another example, um, I marched with the Disney workers when they were fighting for a $10 minimum wage. And then they got not only a $10 minimum wage, but they got a 20% raise for the poorest paid workers at Disney World because they belong to unions. And I went on the local TV stations, and by the way, a lot of uh, Democrats, unfortunately, will go out of their way to avoid any association with unions. I think that's wrong. I went on our local TV stations in Disneyland and pointed out that pretty much the only people who were going to see a 20% raise over two years in Central Florida were people who were lucky enough to belong to a union. Uh, to give you an example. So I want to see uh, strength in Social Security, not, not just protecting it, but actually increasing it. I campaigned statewide on the, on the motto, seniors deserve a raise. We haven't had a raise in Social Security in more than 40 years now. The GNP, has, per capita GNP has doubled and seniors have actually gotten 3% less now than they got 40 years ago. We need to increase Medicare. It needs to cover eyes, ears, and teeth. Uh, I introduced a bill called the Seniors Have Eyes, Ears, and Teeth Act in case there was any doubt about that, and it's quite an anomaly that Medicare doesn't cover eyes, ears, and teeth. So in general, we have to elevate the, the, the standard of of life and joy that people feel at every stage, whether they're children, whether they're in working age, whether they're seniors and retirees and so on, uh, make life better for ordinary people in practical ways. I'm going to tell you a quick secret. I was just in Australia. Yes, $17 an hour minimum wage. And they have this stuff called sleek light rail. And as you're standing there, one of these sleek light rail trains comes by full of people. And affordably, they can go long distances on that, like 60, 70 miles, as a matter of fact, for one price. They also have Band-Aids for all. So if somebody is bleeding, they get a free Band-Aid. If their arm breaks, they get it fixed. And this is part of what they compel their government to do. And they're not ashamed. You go to Switzerland, Germany, France, Italy, Spain. They're not embarrassed to see a nice choo-choo train go by full of people they don't wince and blush because somebody's getting a heart operation so they don't die this is a progressive way of thinking and um, the swiss are not layabouts by the way they have a pretty high standard of living and they have this kind of weird idea of equality and actually works this seems to be your vision too 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I mean, I, I, I love America. You can tell from my tie and my watch also. Um, <laughs> but uh, we can, we, if we love the place, we can make it better. Um, I'll just tell you that um, I went to Norway about six years ago. Um, Donald Trump I, is a favorite, <laughs> one of his favorite countries. <laughs> I, I hurt myself very badly. I went inside an ice cave and I fell. Um, and I fell right on my back. Um, they took me to the clinic. Uh, this is a town of, of 3,000 people. Um, so you wouldn't think that they have much of a hospital, but in fact, uh, they were able to give me blood tests, check for internal bleeding, give me an x-ray, uh, give me some pain medication, give me basically all the care that I needed, uh, and it cost a little bit more than $50. Uh, and, and by the way, my health coverage does not extend to Norway. So this gives you a sense of what, it's, what, what life can be like um, if we don't try to put the insurance company in between you and your care, the insurance company basically has a conflict of interest. They're trying to get as much money as they can out of your pocket, give you as little care as they can get away with, and they call the difference profit. So we're hearing an intelligent voice of the Democratic Party. In fact, if the Democratic Party were just you, this would be a pleasure for many people. How do they follow you? How do they learn more? How do they put a little warm air under the wings of possibility here? Well, uh, I, I will tell you that we're working on our website right now, so I'm not able to give you the URL, but I'm not that hard to find. I, if, you, if you Google me, there's an alarming number of web pages. Um, our YouTube channel had, has 50,000 subscribers. Uh, my Facebook page, which is a good place to start, has 175,000 friends. Um, there are 400,000 web pages that have my name on it, uh, more than any Democrat in Congress other than Nancy Pelosi. So I'm not that hard to find. And thanks to you, maybe we'll keep it that way. And we're sitting in a chair because he's six foot four. So you know what happens when tall people get in power? Things work. Alan Grayson, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I can neither confirm nor deny that uh, it would be wonderful did I say it would be wonderful? I think I did. If you were back in Congress. So uh, let's see if the gods are smiling. And I think they already are. Well, thank you for that. That's very, very kind. And I want to tell you how valuable it is from my perspective to actually be able to sit here and talk to you and answer questions like this. How often do we ever hear candidates actually talking about things that matter in people's lives. So many times we have a candidate that steps forward and says, well, I'm a veteran, vote for me. Not that I'm against that. Uh, We have somebody who steps forward and says, I'm X, vote for me. I'm an astronaut, vote for me. Whatever it might be, that's not the way it ought to be. It's not about us, okay? It's about what needs to be done uh, to make uh, America a wonderful paradise for everyone and to be champions of justice, equality, and peace. Yay. Former Congressman Alan Grayson, once again running to be congressman, representing the state of Florida, the one of the most important states in the world. In fact, the globe looks on, however it works there, and uh, he has passed over 121 pieces of legislation, probably the hardest working congressman you'll ever meet, and guess what? Soon you will meet him again. Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. News. Reality Check. Recap. For Reality Check Live, I'm Mercy Malik, and this is your Entertainment Minute. 
Dancing queens worldwide are rejoicing over the reunification of the 70s supergroup ABBA. The Swedish original Super Troopers have returned to the studio to produce new music for the first time in over 35 years. The unexpected collaboration came about after the four original band members reconvened to develop a virtual reality tour. Since their split in 1982, the massively popular band had formerly been adamant in their refusal to work or perform together. Recording efforts since their reunification have so far included a song titled I Still Have Faith in You, with a spokesperson describing the studio atmosphere as magical. In 2010, ABBA received an award from their record label Universal for having sold 375 million singles and albums worldwide. Their indefatigable fans have kept them relevant decades after their split, with Billboard reporting a greatest hits album charting as recently as 2014. ABBA remains the most successful music export in Sweden's history. And finally, your surprise minute. Although many people will live their entire lives having only seen tumbleweeds in spaghetti westerns or Bugs Bunny cartoons, for residents of the American Southwest, tumbleweeds are a fact of life. But even the experienced residents of the town of Victorville in the California desert were surprised to recently wake up literally buried in piles of tumbleweeds that in some spots reached heights of seven feet. Victorville resident Brian Bagwell told NPR, quote, it looked like a war of tumbleweeds, like we were being invaded and quote. It took a village to clear the tumbleweeds, which are actually not native to the North American continent. National Geographic reports that the prickly problem literally stems from a plant called Russian thistle, which is believed to have invaded the U.S. during the 19th century via contaminated imported Russian flaxseed. Tumbleweeds can present serious fire hazards, extreme danger to bare feet if trapped indoors, and are obviously the bane of wily coyote. For Reality Check Live, I'm Mercy Malik. Recap Reality Check Live. That news report just brought us down. There's sure some crazy people around. We're buying handguns. Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reality Check Live, realitychecklive.org. You can follow us on social media at Reality Check LV, LV for Live, at Reality Check LV. Sitting next to Vic Jarami, this is the Queer Frontier with Vic. And Vic, you know, we were, we're you know, sort of always in pride season now. Generally, it happens in the summer. Uh, we're in the summer region right now. Right. And people wonder, is it still relevant? Like, why do you still need pride? You, you're allowed to get married, go home, get married, shut up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because a couple of years ago, after um, marriage equality, we thought, you know, people started to just kind of talk about it. We didn't really decide that it was no longer necessary, but the conversation started. And, um, you know, we're back to being pretty sure that it's still very uh, necessary and very relevant. Uh, usually Pride season in the States start with Long Beach Pride. Yeah. It starts with Long Beach Pride, which comes up in a couple of weeks. Uh, and then all summer long, different cities throughout the world. And then Palm Springs Pride, which is an early first weekend in November, yeah. closes the Pride season. So it's a long Pride season. If you haven't been to a Pride before, uh, think of it as it's, it's uh, New Orleans during um, Mardi Gras. It's, it's a, a big gay cuckoo and there's 500,000 people. And, and our studio is here in Los Angeles at the 
uh, Universal Broadcasting Network here at Sunset Gower, just a mile from here, five, half a million people. They're all going to be straight, most of them. It's half a million. Um, They love it. It, it's a big festival. Yeah. It is. In every city, it's slightly different, and it's evolved through the yeah. years. Um, in some cities, it's a little bit more political, like San Francisco. Right. Uh, in L.A., it's a little bit more of a festival uh, feel, although you know there's still a lot of activism going on. Um, in some cities throughout the world, it's more of a contained in one neighborhood or one sort of part of town. Where in other cities like London, where I was last year, it's like the entire city. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool to go to different cities throughout the world and, and see how they do pride. And, um, and in the relevancy, like last year in Los Angeles was the first ever time that the big gay pride parade became a resist march. Correct. It was a flashback to the late 1970s. Exactly. Where uh, the first L.A. Pride happened and started at Hollywood and Highland. So last year's was this March, which was very timely. Um, right near where the Academy Awards are held. Exactly. Yeah. It, it started there and, uh, you know, we had uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters and... Uh, Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi and many dignitaries and elected officials joined and we walked all the way from Hollywood where the Oscars happened all right. the way to West Hollywood where the festival was taking place. So it was a sort of a... a once in a lifetime kind of an event. It was it was great to see so many people come together. And uh, this year, it's um, we're not going to have a resist march. We're back to the same, um, you know, the, the template. pride, the template, yeah. if you will, that we've had, and that's exciting. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's pride season. Just can't believe it's already here. So, how do we answer the question? Is pride still necessary? Um, people assume now that yeah. you're married, go home. Like everything is great. You're just completely equal, yeah. right up and down the road like everyone else. But it is not true, not even remotely true. No. I mean, it's, um, you know, if we felt any sort of uh, comfort and, you know, breathe for a second after marriage equality and President Obama's era uh, when his administration did a great deal to advance us um, in LGBT rights. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the, a lot of that being under threat. Yeah. And certainly, marriage equality is not the end all. I mean, right now, the trans community is being targeted. They're the easiest target. Um, so our struggle is still, you know, happening. Not not just worldwide, uh, obviously, but even here in the states. Sadly. Um, even in Northern Ireland, yeah. where you know a baker has a big sort of national uh, uh, case happening in the courts right now in Northern Ireland, where a baker refused to uh, bake a cake for a gay couple. Now, personally, if someone doesn't want to bake my cake, I'll just go to the next one. Absolutely, I'll give you my money. Right, but but it's but that's meta- just my opinion. It's you a know? metaphor for a larger issue. Exactly. Same thing as we wrap this up in Turkey, where it's now. Like, totally illegal to, like, think gay thoughts if you're caught. Yes. So in Turkey, as, as you mentioned a couple of days ago, the Turkish government made um, any event, any LGBTQ event yeah. whatsoever, completely illegal. That would so, mean a birthday party for your 11-year-old kid if he happens to be gay. Illegal. It could be the most conservative art gallery gathering or a theater or a film screening. Wine as long as it's LGBT-related right. yeah. or produced or whatsoever, yeah. it's illegal, which is 
sort of crazy. It's, that would be it's, tough if you were uh, a Christian and you were celebrating Pope Xanthius the Ninth, who used to have all those gay orgies. Um, that would be hard to even talk about it because that could be illegal. Yes. So you know, um, uh, you know, another example of human rights violations yeah. of Turkey, a uh, country desperately trying to uh, join United. Uh, the European Union, yeah. and yet uh, they're going back to the dark ages. So it's it's kind of sad to see that. So definitely pride is very much relevant and very much necessary for us to, to do pride. And, not you know, pride is not just for uh, LGBT folks. Uh, we want our, our straight allies and friends and family and everybody to come out and uh, uh, walk with us and celebrate with us and Good stuff. There it is. The Queer Frontier with Vic. You can check them out anytime at The Blunt Post. One word, thebluntpost.com, thebluntpost.com. Realitycheclive.org. Reality Check Live with Carrie Harrison.